This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number three. Sunday edition of the show. Thanks for joining us at 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. If you're just joining us, we had a spirited conversation starting out about the New York Mets. We talked Jets with Rich Samini, touched on the Giants. But now I want to talk about the New York Yankees. Because the Yankees got some news today. And there are some, I dare say, Yankee fans who are pretty, pretty happy right now. And it's crazy to say this. Okay? Prior to today's game, the Yankees placed infielder Josh Donaldson on the 10-day injured list with a right calf strain. Now, I am not here to suggest that player that fans were rooting for players to be hurt. I'm not saying that. It's not what I'm saying at all. Not at all. What I am saying is that Oswald Peraza has been called up from AAA Scranton Wilkes-Barre. And so he will be available to be your third baseman or to be your infield. You can move him anywhere you want. Josh Donaldson has replaced Joey Gallo as the poster boy for what's wrong with the Yankees offense. And it's unfortunate because Josh Donaldson has been a guy who, let's face it, the organization has made excuses for, right? Is that fair to say, Yankee fans? That that they've made excuses for him. Well, you know... Um, he's got a great glove, <laughs> great glove. Uh, well, you know, um, he's, he's, he's going to get better. He's going to get hot. I'm looking for, I can't wait to see what he's going to, oh, what he brings to the table. Woo. It's going to be unbelievable. 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 He's going to bring to the table offensively. Now to his credit in this new era of, uh, of baseball where we, uh, we don't care about averages, <laughs> right? In this new era of baseball where it's about, you know, home runs and runs batted in, and we're not really concerned about averages, Josh Donaldson has not disappointed you with the averages. He's done a decent job getting home runs. He's done a decent job with that. Okay, that he's done. But uh, he has not been the guy that you thought you were getting when the trade was made. And listen, I understand at the time that the Yankees were adamant in trying to get rid of Gary Sanchez. They had moved on. They were ready to go. They were moved on. It's goodbye. But I'm just feeling, and obviously in hindsight, it's perfect. Boy, that was a bad trade. (laughs) Boy, that was a bad trade. You would have been better off releasing Gary Sanchez than to make the deal that you made. Because Donaldson has not lived up to what you expect. He just hasn't. Now, here's some positives about the Yankees. And listen, unlike the Mets, they've struggled, but they've kept their they, they've kept themselves above water, right? They've kept themselves above 500. 
They've done a really good job in just finding ways to win. Now, it, it helps because they've got a fabulous bullpen. Garrett Cole has been unbelievable as the ace. Uh, undefeated, when I last checked, he was 8-0 in starts after a Yankee loss. That's what a stop. That's what your ace does. He's a stopper. He's a he's a consecutive losing streak stopper. He's a continue winning streak guy. All right, and Cole has been phenomenal. He's been everything that you've asked of him this season. You you might have had, uh, you know, you might have had a lot of uh, comments or concerns about him. You could argue that he's not been the same guy he was in Houston, but. This season, you you have to you, you have no qualms with what he's brought to the table, no qualms. He's been everything that you've needed. Bullpen has been great. You've had a lot of injuries in your starting rotation. The huge injury, obviously, with Aaron Judge and the fact that he's been running a little bit. He's been in the batting cage. That's got. If you're a Yankee fan, you are ecstatic because that means there's a possibility that, you know, now you can start to think about the timeline. They haven't put the timeline out. But now you can start to think about a timeline. And so for you, it's positive. And then, and listen, I get it's Coors Field. I get you have a new hitting coach. And as I told Gordon a couple of days ago, what a perfect strategy for you to bring in a new hitting coach with your offense in Coors Field. <laughs> okay? Coors Field can, 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 can fix a lot of what's wrong with you offensively. All right? And apparently, that's what it's done for Giancarlo Stanton, who, when I got up this morning, I think I saw the ball he hit out of the course field over my house yesterday go by. That's how much of a bomb that was. And so now he's got four home runs in like four or five games. So now you're starting to see him get hot. And here's a guy who has a track record. See, Josh Donaldson doesn't have that track record with you. But Stanton has that track record of a guy that can carry an offense for a couple of weeks. So, and you will need to, okay? You will need to because your schedule, Yankee fans, gets much tougher. You've got some games as we get close to the deadline where it's, it's going to be tough. So, but on the other hand, you've got Rodon who's pitching. It's spring training for him. So, it's spring training April for him. So, next couple of starts, I think you'll start to see him get a little bit better. You'll start to see him become a little more consistent with what you've expected from him. Cortez should be back shortly. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do, um, you know, bullpen wise. I don't know, you know, how the, you, you're concerned about, you know, the closing situation and stuff there. Um, so, you know, I'm, but the bullpen has been phenomenal for the most part of the season. It's been great. Uh, Clark Smith, has pitched better and better as the season has has gone on. Uh, I don't know what you're doing about Severino. I mean, he's he's been an enigma. I mean, usually, yeah, you understand when he comes back from injury, he takes him a minute, but then he goes on a roll. Uh, I don't know. He he's not looked good at all, except for maybe one or two starts. He's not looked good, so I'm not sure what you do there. But uh, this is an interesting time. We talked earlier about the Mets at the trade deadline. I want to hear from the Yankee fans what you think should be done at the trade deadline. 1-800-919-3776. Bobby's in Long Island. Bobby, you're next on 98.7. Yes, hi. How are you? Good, Bobby. Um, 
good. Uh, the previous two seasons when uh, with Donaldson, uh, he had. 250 and 222 in 68 games. You give him $25 million for a 36-year-old baseman. What I mean, what do you expect? I mean, I wasn't surprised at all. Now, this guy should be DFA. Okay, it's time. And you should go get at Raul Naldo from the Cardinals, who said that the Cardinals might be interested in trading him. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather have him than Otani, because Otani, they have enough DHs. And he's a great all-around player. I mean, the Yankees should really consider going after him. All right, Bobby. Thanks for the phone call. I I, I hear what you're saying about Arenado. Uh, Otani is a fabulous player. He's a fabulous player. He he's a pitcher. He's he's had an unbelievable season. I mean, I don't know if you're going to get him. I don't I don't think you can trade for him because I think it would take too much. I mean, he's going to be a free agent. I mean, I would rather. I would if if I had my druthers, I would try to, you know, get him as a free agent rather than give up capital for him. Uh, and I get that you're rolling the dice because if you're the Angels, you're trying to get capital. You don't want him to just walk out the door. But um, and I don't, and once again, you got the issues. I don't know if he wants to come east, and there's, there's all the speculation that you have about what's going on with him, right? But. Arnaldo would be, yeah, he would be, he would be great. He would be fabulous for you at third base. There's no question about that. But um, you know, what are you gonna give up for him? Are you willing, as a Yankee fan, will you give up the prospects that, if you're the Yankees, will you give up the prospects that you weren't willing to give up last season, this season? Are you willing to do that? And I'm not sure they are. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that that's the case. We'll continue the conversation on 987 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. We got plenty of guys capable. You know, it's good to see DJ. I thought really put together even better than last night. I thought really put some together some really good swings tonight. Rizzo hit a couple balls on the nose, which was good, and finally got one to fall there. So, look, we're, we're capable. They're grinding, and a lot of these guys are going to get hot together, and that's when the fun happens. Yeah, that's what you hope. Aaron Boone, hard to stay on the Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. And, and look, the the let's, let's be honest. The Yankee offense is okay. It's not great. It's not really, really good. It's okay. And it needs everybody hitting. It has very little margin for error without Aaron Judge. Very little. Now, once again, the question will be, and this is the thing, DJ went three for four last night. He's predominantly, I would think, going to be your third baseman going forward with Donaldson on the IL with a calf. All right. He's going to be the Now, if he can get hot, because he's a guy that sprays the baseball all over the field, to all fields. If he can get hot, Stanton starts to roll. Uh, Bader continues to stay healthy. Uh, you know, you. You, Glaber, it would be nice for him to get hot. He went two for five last night. If you can start to generate some runs with these guys, generate hits and generate some runs with these guys, then yes, I would say that you now have an opportunity 
okay, to, to put some, some wins together that you can start to climb back up. Now, once again, you're only a couple of games out of the wild card. You're not like the Mets who are seven games out, seven, eight games out. You have an opportunity where you can go on a run and, and get to a wild card spot. Okay? You're, you're right in the mix. So it's a, it's, it's a different, totally different situation. But what I will say is you have a stretch coming up schedule-wise that is going to be pretty tough. There is a stretch where you're going to face, if memory serves me correct, you're going to face uh, Baltimore, Tampa, and Houston as you get close to the trade deadline. Now, in this case, I believe, and I don't think it's, it's, you know, I think it's virtually definite. I really believe that the Yankees are going to make a move and going to be active during the deadline. I really do. They always are. What they will get, I don't know. They know what they need. They need a left fielder. Um, I know the caller mentioned about Arenado. Yeah, you could use the third baseman, but I think DJ's okay over there. You got Peraza, they can spell him. You know, you're okay. You're okay. You need, you need a left fielder, everyday left fielder that can give you some pop in your lineup. Okay, I think I think pitching's okay. You'll probably add a bullpen. You always do. But I think those are the things that you that you really need to to lock in where you're going. Okay, those are the things I think you really really need to upgrade your offense to at least make it formidable. All right, it is it is too much of an inconsistent offense right now. It just is, and it's been that way for the past couple seasons. Look. I know they jumped off to an unbelievable start last season for the first half. I get it. They were amazing. They were amazing. It was record-setting. But in your heart of hearts, when you looked at that lineup, you knew this is not, this is not what we're this is not gonna work. <laughs> Long term. It's not. And I don't think they were as bad as they were in the second half last year, but I think that's closer to what the team's offense really could do. But still, once again, for you, it, it's it's a difference. It's a big difference. Okay, now I popped up the schedule. So you, you finish off with Colorado today, and you got Garrett Cole on the mound. All right? Then you're heading to uh, uh, Los Angeles to play the Angels for three. Then you're home for Kansas City next weekend. Then you've got the, the Mets on the 25th and 26th, and then that stretch we're talking about from Friday the 28th at Baltimore for three, home for Tampa Bay for three, home for Houston for four. And the 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 middle of the Tampa Bay series going into Houston is August 1st. That's the trade deadline. So I'm, that's what I'm thinking the Yankees will do. Add a bat, add an arm, and roll. And see where they can go. And then you get judged back 
And listen, don't expect him to come back. Yeah, it's going to take him a minute. He hasn't up to June 9th. We're looking at a month and a half. Timing, it's going to take him a minute to get rolling again. And then once you have whoever the addition is, and if Stanton can continue to go and you got some guys going, then you have the possibility. Now, look, it's not guaranteed because, let's face it, the, the offense is what it is. But I just can't see you being so close to a wild card spot. I can't see you go to the, to, to the, to the trade deadline and not do anything. I, I can't see it. I can't see that happening. So I believe the Yankees will be definitely buyers at this at this trading deadline. They're going to make some moves. Now, will it be big time moves? Once again, the question: Will they want to give up some of the young prospects that they weren't willing to give up before? I don't know. It depends on who's available. I'm not buying this one. So listen, I love Derek Jeter, doing a great job on on, on TV. Respect him and, and and respected him as a player where he was phenomenal. I don't see how the Yankees get. I don't see how the Yankees get Juan Soto. I just don't. At this short time, I'm, I, I, how do they get him? <laughs> how do they get Juan Soto now? What are they going to give up? And if I'm San Diego, why am I letting him go? You know why? Why would I do that? Why would, why would I move on from this talented young man who everybody's telling me is, is and we've seen him, we saw him with Houston. I mean, with uh, Washington. He's a great player. He is a great player. I mean, I get the Padres are five games under 500 at 44 and 49, 10 games out of first in the West. But, I mean... I don't know that they're ready to give up on him. Now, if this were next year, maybe, maybe. But right now, I, I, you know, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. But listen, stranger things can happen. You just, you just, you, you just never know. <laughs> okay, you never know how it could go. You never know how it could work out right now. You just never know. I mean, they're in uh, they're in better shape in the wild card than the Mets are. Okay. They're in better shape. They're they have a game and a half lead over the Mets in the wild card standings right now. So, you know, I, I'm I'm curious to see what I'm this trade deadline is gonna be very interesting for me. Very, very, very interesting for me. Uh, to see just what teams do and who's a buyer and who's a seller. And these next couple of weeks will tell you a lot. We'll tell you a lot. We'll come back and take more of your calls next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Chatting with you at 1-800-919-3776. Let's head to the phones. Go to the Bronx. That's where Buddha's hanging out on 98.7. What's up, Buddha? Hey, what's going on, huh? You know, you this morning, listen to a little Imhotep. Oh. You had a nice send-off. You had a nice send-off for, you know, one of our greatest warriors who's retiring. I was just thinking about you when I was listening to that. Yeah. 
lot of great. You talk about you talk about Buddha learning from uh, a broadcasting legend. That's what I had the opportunity to do, learning at the knee of Emotep Gary Bird. No question about it. Yeah, it's a good man, just like you. Thank you. Good I appreciate man. that. Appreciate to be held in that company. You know, uh, listen. Through a rough week, you know, Yankees. The Yankees are cooked. I, they, they, like you said, they, I don't think they have the assets to get the kind of player that we need. I don't care what these reports are, and I don't even think that they have the gumption to do it. So that's a double dipper right there. Then I got to hear about, you know, how James Harden is disappointed about how his, his uh, negotiations went with Daryl Morey. Uh, you know, the funny part is, you know, once Emil Udoka took that job in Houston. Yeah. So basically, we're stuck with him, you know? So those are two teams right there that I, you know, I, I can't get overly excited about. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very interesting time because the Jets are actually in a better position to start, quote-unquote, like you said, because I've been a fan of the team for 41 years, and you cover them. You know, I, when you give me the week 14, you know, then I'll be like the monkeys. I'm a believer. I, you know, I need to see I, I need to see what's going on. And all this training camp, hard knocks, I can absolutely care less about. None of that stuff means anything to me. When the Williams being signed, that's important to me. These young players that we have, you know, Sauce, um, you know, Barry Tucker coming back healthy. And then also there was a guy who called you earlier. He was spot on. I need to see more James Johnson and less mm-hmm. of Carl Lawson. I mean, please, good Lord, I'm so sick of Carl Lawson. <laughs> but, you know, we got Aaron Rodgers, and clearly, it's undeniable, he's the best player that the Jets have ever had at any position. Better than Namath, better than Klecko, better than Darrell Reeves. So that's undeniable. And mm-hmm. well, along with those players that we just mentioned, the youth we have, Hopefully, Brees Hall comes back, and hopefully they get an a insurance policy for, you know, if he does come back and need to be, you know, a little grace period. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say is this. What concerns me, and, you know, I had called Ty, and I spoke about it, and, you know, we were talking about the coaching, and Ty was like, yeah, you made some very salient points. But then, you know, he threw me under the bus when the guy Jake Ashman came on, talking about how, oh, I heard the caller, and he said stuff about Salah and Gates to make my head blow off. Okay, buddy, listen. Adam Gase was nine and twenty-three as a Jets head coach. Rob Sala is eleven and twenty-three, and the only reason he has two more games in the win column is because there were two more games added to the season. Okay, so I'm not giving him any toots, toots, bells and whistles for any of that. Dude's got a lot to prove. And when I hear you talk with Samini, and then he's talking about the offensive line, I hear ifs, coulds, all these different things. You know, I'm a Sith. I deal in absolutes. You know, as Obi Wan said, and uh, I, I, you know, the offensive line is the worst offensive line in the division. The coach is the worst coach in the division. So those are two hills to climb that are going to be very difficult. So what 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 concerns me mostly about Salah is, you know, there's a whole scene in the uh, movie, The Naked Gun. I remember Leslie Nielsen standing there, things are blowing up behind him. And he's saying, please disperse. There's nothing to see here. And that's what I've been feeling like with Salah. You know, I need him to, for good, bad, or whatever, to turn it loose and be the guy that we all thought we were getting when he came here from Seattle, a guy who was fiery, a guy who was able to inspire, but more than anything else, his defense looked very orderly and looked very good when he was in Seattle and in San Francisco, quite honestly. So I need to see more of that, you know, this year. What concerns 
because aside from the in-game decisions and things like that, it's just there's a certain element of like when things were going awry or things. I didn't see him like you said. You need to see the coaching staff work well under diversity. When it was adversity, I saw a guy who was getting lost in you know moments in the game or situations in the game, and the team, the sidelines did not look good to me. You know, sometimes there's good chatter on the sideline. Sometimes there's too much chatter. Mm-hmm. I need a guy to take charge and take control. So, you know, Makai Becton and all these other different things, you know, these are all variables that none of us can bank on. But what the coach can control, and like you always say, too, you got to control what you can control. You can control the team and what the team's focus is, what the team's game plan is. I know you have an offensive coordinator and a quarterback who are going to do their own thing and don't really need that much input from you. But this is a pivotal moment, like you said. And listen, the Jets cannot come out and have like a six and four start. No. You can't do that. You have to be eight and three, you know, that, that kind of situation because the league, the division, the conference have all improved leaps and bounds. So, you know, that's where my area of concern is, the offensive line and the head coach. I mean, those two things melt together. Then I'll start sipping some of that Kool-Aid that Jose was talking about. All right, Buddha, thanks for the phone call. And you can't do that until they start playing, right? And so I think here's the things you're looking for. And we've spoken about it a lot. And it really occurred to me, really, it hit me when I was – Uh, covering Eric Mangini with the Jets when he became head coach. And it was, what does, we always talk about what players have to do to improve, right? We talk about what uh, Makai Becton has to do, what what players have to do in their second year. We're looking for this player. We're looking for that. We, We need this player to step up. We need this player to do something. We need this. We need this. We need that. But very rarely do we hear people talk about what coaches need to do to improve. And I really started thinking about that with Eric Mangini, about his, the difference between his first year and his second year. What would he, how would he change things? Because it was clear from a uh, football standpoint, from a knowledge standpoint, from an X's and O's standpoint, I mean, he was, he was as I learned a lot about football from Eric Mangini because of how he broke that. His, his Wednesday press conferences, when he was with the Jets, uh, what, how he, he broke down to us what he saw in video. And he was, I mean, every little detail. And so from, from his standpoint, uh, what you learned, the players were prepared mentally from his standpoint because he prepared them. He looked, he told them what to expect. He had everything right there. The issue with him on occasion was his chatting and talking with players and how he was able to get, just in talking to the players, how he was able to relate the information to them. Sometimes it was, it was an issue. So how do, how do coaches, because you know, they self-scout, how does coaches, when they review the season, how do they look to improve on themselves? I remember asking Todd Bowles, when you, what did you learn about yourself as a head coach? Because he had never been a head coach before. Same thing, well, he was interim. But same thing with Mangini. How, when you've never been a head coach, okay, there's a learning curve for you. 
And how do you get better? How do you ascertain what I need to work on, what I got to improve on, what, what, what I didn't do? All right. And who do you talk about that with? You talk about that with your assistants? <laughs> I mean, who do you have that conversation with? You have that. And it's, it's obvious people that, that you, you speak with, that you talk to. You don't have that conversation with the general manager. You don't have that conversation with the owner on what, you know, what I need to improve on. No, you have to, you have to put forth to them that you know what you have to improve on, that here's what needs to be done. Here's what we need to do as a team. Here's what we need to do as a staff. Here's what we need to do going forward. So the question is, who does the head coach? Who does the manager? Who, who does, you know, who do decision makers talk to to make sure they get better? And when you look at unforced errors, when you look at how a team comes out to start a game, when you look at when the penalties take place, when you look at these, these situations, when they happen and why they happen, then you have to go back and you've got to take some part, some, you know, some, some reason for that. You have to take some of the reason that this happened. It's, it's on your watch. Now, most of it's on the players. There's no question about it. But we all agree that of all the major sports, coaching matters in the National Football League like none other. It just does. It does. Because every single, you only play 17 games. Every single play could be a potential game breaker to make you lose. Every time on third and, and 15, there's a miscommunication. You give up 16 and the drive continues. And the field flips. And now where you could have pinned you could have pin, you could have given your offense great field position. Now you're still on the field. Okay, mistakes, uh, penalties that that extend drives. These are things that, from a mental standpoint, you have to be prepared for. The one that you know, look, we joke about Bill Belichick, and we joke about him talking to the media and stuff like that, and all this conversation about him being on the hot seat and this stuff like that. Bill Belichick teams don't beat themselves. They just don't. He has an attention to detail like very few in the National Football League. That's why his teams, that's why it's hard to beat his teams. And they'll find a way to beat you. <laughs> All right? But it's hard to beat him. Okay? And then, of course, you know, eventually nobody's perfect and players are going to make mistakes. But it's, the, it's your ability to prepare them so much that they minimize the mistakes that they make and when they make them. And you have to understand that. And so from a head coach, especially in Robert Sala's position now, where you've gone from, hey, we're a nice team up and coming. If we just had a quarterback, well, we, we, just, we could just get, you know, we could just get Zach Wilson going. Look what we're able to do. You have jumped now to one of the, one of the teams whom many think could make a Super Bowl run because of the quarterback that you have, because of the offense that you have, because of the defense that you have, okay? Now you're, you've bolted into the forefront of the conversation. You're not coming. Many people think you're right there. And how do you make that happen? 
How do you do that? And most of that is very simple. It's about making sure everybody is prepared. Everybody knows what they have to do. And it really makes you have to look in the mirror and say, you know what? It really starts and ends with me. I'm the head coach of this football team. Yes, we got Aaron Rodgers. Yes, we got Nathaniel Hackett and he and Aaron Rodgers. I'm confident that they've got things going. But guess what? I still got to look in on that offense and see what they're doing. Because from a defensive standpoint, they may be missing something that I can bring to that table. Because I faced Aaron Rodgers before when I was with Frisco. I faced him when I was on various staffs in Seattle and elsewhere. I know, I, I know how we prepared for him. Hey, I know what we did when we beat him this year, last season. I know what we did when we were able to beat him. So, yeah, he's got to look in on that offensive. He's got to look in the offensive room as well. He can't just wave it off. Yeah, well, you know, Hackett and, Hackett and uh, Rogers, ah, they got that. I don't have to go in there. No, yes, you do. You have to go in there. You got to sit in on that special teams meeting. And I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm saying even more so now. You got to sit in on that special teams meeting and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. Whatever you did not do over the past couple of seasons that you have learned because it's different coaching all three sides of the football as opposed to one side of the football, that's what you have to, right now, all the mistakes that you made over the past two seasons as head coach of this team, you learn from those and you minimize mistakes this season because everything is riding on you, what you're able to do and how you're able to, to, to prepare this team for this season. This is the season. We don't know if Aaron Rodgers is playing the second season here. We know he's playing this season. I don't know about second season. This might be your only shot. And everything has to go right. And the number one thing you have to make sure your side of the ball, the defense, which you're known for, that has to be buttoned up and ready to go. But more importantly, you and Hackett and that offensive line coach, you guys really, really need to make sure that everybody is on the same page with protections. Everybody's on the same page about late blitzes. Anything that could possibly happen, they have to be prepared for. Because if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, that changes the whole aspect of this season, the whole tenor of this season with this team. We'll continue the conversation next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. You know, uh, a couple of things I wanted to take away before we uh, call it a day here on 98.7 ESPN. And that is, I know it's really crazy, but it is hard for me to um, really get caught up with what I'm seeing with the um, with the summer league after Wimbanyama was not was shut down and look there's some great players and and if you're a fan there's guys you want to see on your team and you want to see what's happening and, and what some of the younger players can do like that's on the G League and situations of that nature 
you know, you clearly want to see that, and I understand that. I do. And the Knicks have some players that have shown some promise and whatnot, but uh, really, Wimbayama was, I really was looking forward to watching him. And the first game, people were just like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be able to stay in the league. Oh, no, look at, oh, it was horrible. Oh, look at, oh, brutal. Oh, oh, oh. First game, uh, obviously nervous, as you could tell, because the second game was more, was much better. Fascinating, though, that they decided to shut him down and uh, let him, you know, do some things, get, get uh, you know, his body better, get his stamina better. And that says a lot, okay? That, that's just some of the things that you talk about with adjustments from playing overseas to playing here in the NBA. And it, it's not only a physical adjustment, it's a mental adjustment as well. And so that's what you're, that's what you're looking at. And I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be a fabulous player. I think he'll be, you know, he'll be really good once he be, uh, understands what it takes to be successful in the league. He'll be fine. Uh, you can see the ball skills. You can see his ability to shoot. Um, you can see that, that he's got talent. Now, his ability to try to make sure all these things work, that's going to be the test. Right, that's going to be the test of how he matures. And the one thing we know is that he's got a very good coach in Greg Popovich who understands what it takes to win, who, who knows, who's coached a lot of great players in the league, who knows what, what needs to be done and how to make him a really good player. He knows what to do. So... Uh, I, I'm very curious. I'm looking forward to him getting back into the rotation and getting back and learning to play and, and becoming, you know, uh, seeing how he performs and watch his growth in this league. And remember, he doesn't he doesn't have to be great the first year, right? He just has to show progress. He's got to get better every year. Get 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 better every year. Get better every year. And I think he will. I think he will. So I think the fact that he was shut down early, people are like, uh oh. Ah, see, he couldn't handle the NBA. See, here we go. We got to wait and see. We have to wait and see what, what's going on with him. Okay? We'll, it, whatever will happen will show itself. Okay? Now, once again, if you're a Nick fan, you're trying to figure out, okay, what is this team going to do? And Han said it. I've said it. I, it, I really don't think that, um, you know, they're going to do anything. This is pretty much going to be the same team that was here last year. Unless, and of course, anything can change. It could change at a moment's notice. So you, you make a phone call to somebody or something happens and they pick up the phone. And they say, you know what, listen, hey, forget about it. Let's, you know, yeah, yeah, you know what, we didn't want to do it before, but we'll do it now. What, what are you offering us? We, we want to move on. We've had something. We want to move on from this guy. So anything can happen at a moment's notice. Anything. And listen, <laughs> I, I, I make no secrets. I want Ananobi. I want him on this team. If if Ananobi was walking through Madison Square Garden's doors right now, I'd be ecstatic. 
ecstatic. That's what I'm looking for. Okay? But I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't think because they're in the same division. I don't think the, the Knicks have what uh, Toronto wants. I'm not sure which route Toronto is going right now. With Siakam and Ananobi, they, they've got, you know, they've got a couple of players who people want. And it's ultimately going to be the best deal that gets it done. Now, you know, you go online, you look, your, your head is swimming with bad information <laughs> about teams and trades that have no possible way of happening. It's just not going to happen. You know it when you see it. You look at this trade, you're like, no, nah, nah, they're not doing that. There's no way that's happening. But, uh, you know, look at what Phoenix has been doing. And here's the thing I'll say about Phoenix. They knew that after last year, they had to make some adjustments. Okay, because when they uh, made the move for Kevin Durant, you know, I mean, they torched their bench. Okay, they did. They, they blew their bench up to try to get that move done which has uh, Joe Leo smiling because he's got a prime guy starting for his new his Brooklyn Nets. But um, as Wolves reported earlier, Phoenix signed a one-year deal with free agent forward Bobo, sending Cameron Payne and the future second-round pick to the Spurs for a future second-rounder. So now they have three future second-round picks from the Magic in exchange for a 2026 first-round pick. Okay, so they've got, they've got depth. They now have Kevin Durant, Kevin uh, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and DeAndre Ayton. And listen, I'm I'm not gonna. I I, I don't know how that's gonna work. I'm just telling you right now. I don't know how that's gonna. I don't know how Bradley Beal and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are gonna be able to work. Not my job. You know they'll figure it out. But I think they were encouraged by watching how Devin Booker was able to handle the basketball while Chris Paul was out, right? And so he didn't. He was able to set the tone. He's a, he, he has great court vision. He sees people. Uh, I think this year, because they will have a full training camp together, I think Kevin Durant will be more comfortable in spots. He just seemed to defer a lot, just in my opinion. He just seemed to defer a lot to Devin Booker. I don't know if that's how the plays were or the defense, what they saw the defense giving them or whatever the reason. But I just thought that Kevin, Gar Kevin, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Durant wasn't as aggressive and he deferred a lot. I think with a full training camp and everybody understanding where everybody is, I think that won't be the case this time. I think this season they'll be more aggressive. They'll be able to do what they need to do. And uh, they're going to be a very interesting team going forward. Very interesting team. That wraps up this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show here on 9870 ESPN. We thank you for joining us on this Sunday afternoon. I will see you tomorrow night in for Dan Grasa at 7 o'clock. Uh, special thanks to Rich Samini for joining us on the New York Jets, his 35th year covering the Jets. Amazing. Tom and Joe, thank you very much. Up next, the conversation continues on 987 ESPN.